Thank you, Ollie. Oh, I'm nice and loud. That's good. All right. Well, welcome to our meeting this morning. As uh, Ollie said, my name is Mark, Mark Rushworth, and I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church. So good to be able to welcome you, uh, whether you're here in person or whether you're online. Uh, good to be here. Anyway, we're going to be uh, trusting that God is going to be moving powerfully this morning, whether it's here or whether it's where you are. So let's uh, have expectation of that this morning as we continue worshiping God later on. We've currently, when I've been preaching, we've been looking at the first 14 verses of the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul is outlining all of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. He starts to list them in verse 4, and he kind of stacks them up one after the other. He's like, and there's this, and there's this, and there's this, and there's this, and he's stacking them all up, all of the blessings which come to us because of God's grace. And today we're going to look at the final blessing uh, that he lists in those 14 verses. So we'll read them all. Now we'll start, uh, let's start with verse one, I think. Oh, maybe I started on verse three. No, I started on verse three. Let's start on verse three. Paul says this, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Here he goes. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which is freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Okay, so today we're going to look at the very last thing that he says, the blessing of the Holy Spirit. When you believed, or an alternate promise, sorry, an alternate translation uh, could be having believed. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. As I said, Paul has been talking about lots of things that God's blessed us with so far. Um, and all of those are internal things, invisible things. He says, well, we've been blessed with redemption. Can't see redemption. Forgiveness, wisdom, understanding, hearing the message of truth, believing, lots more things as well. All of those things that he's listed so far are things that are not seen. They're things that are true. They're things that go on in our hearts. They're things that go on in our minds. They're reality that God has done, but you can't see them. But then God does something which is visible. God says, 
I'm going to mark you with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. There's a marking. There's a visible thing going on that Paul is now talking about. A seal is a sign of ownership. I don't, I don't know, even know if this happens here. Someone can tell me, but certainly in the UK it happens, and I'm guessing it might here. Um, but in the UK, maybe there's a, lot, there's a lot of cattle about. Maybe you don't know whose cattle is on whose land. I guess there's a lot more land here. But do people brand cattle here? Does that happen? People brand cattle, so they get, they get a, a mark, they put it in a, a fire, and they'll brand cattle with a mark, a seal, a sign of whose cattle they are, who owns the cattle. Paul is pretty much saying the same thing. We've been marked, we've been branded with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. He, uh, he says something very similar in 2 Corinthians 1.22. He expands on it a little bit. He says, he anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So God's seal is a sign that we are his. It's a sign that we are owned by God. And it's also a sign of that something is genuine, that it's authentic. A seal shows that something is genuine or authentic. It's the way that we know for sure that God has accepted us. We know for sure that God's accepted us because he's marked us with a seal. He's poured out his spirit into us. So we're going to look at what that means for us as individuals. We're going to look at what that means for us corporately as a church. But first of all, let's just be clear about when this happens. And you'll see why I want to look at this later on. When does God mark us with this, with this seal? Now, I highlighted that there was different translations um, in different versions of the Bible, um, which might indicate when this happens. Some versions say, when you believed. When you believed, you were marked with a seal. That's what the NIV says. Some would say, having believed. Having believed, you were marked with a seal. And some would say, after you believed. After you believed, you were marked with a seal. And the word can kind of be translated in any of those ways. To some extent, how you interpret it might depend on the theology of, uh, of whoever's translating it. But the general sense, whichever one is said here, the general sense is that it happens after you believed. After you believed. Not exactly at the same time. Not at the instant of conversion. Not at the instant of believing. If I said, um, you know, last time I went to England, when I went to England my family met with me. When I went to England, my family met with me. That doesn't mean that the minute I got on the plane, suddenly my family are there, oh, great to see you. Uh, you know, it's the instant I get on the plane, travel to England, my family are there. It could mean they met with me as soon as I arrived. Maybe they met me off the plane. Or it could mean that at some point while I was in England, I met with my family. But, but I could just say, when I went to England, my family met with me. So when does this happen? When does this marking with a seal happen? Some people would say, well, it happens at the same time, exactly the same time that we believe in Christ. And of course, the Holy Spirit is involved in this coming to Christ. Of course, the Holy Spirit is involved in this coming to Christ. We cannot know Christ 
without the Holy Spirit being at work. We can't come to a point of, of knowing that we need to confess our sins without the Holy Spirit being at work in us. The Holy Spirit's at work in our lives in that whole process of salvation. But that's not what Paul is talking about when he speaks of, him, of us being marked with a seal. Because again, the whole process of the Spirit of God working in our lives, bringing us to conf confession of our sins, that's all invisible. That's going on in our hearts. But Paul here is talking about something very different. Paul is talking about something visible. He's talking about being marked with something, being able to be seen. We'll see that that's what Paul's doing as we, as we go along. Let's look in Acts chapter 19. Because Acts chapter 19 talks about when the Ephesians, who he's writing to, it talks about what happened in regards to the Spirit. It's really helpful to cross-reference and see what's going on there. So Acts chapter 19, and uh, obviously this account, this knowledge of what happened, will be in the minds of the people of Ephesus as they're reading Paul's letter. So Acts chapter 19 and verse 1 through 6 says this, while Paul was at Corinth, Paul took the road, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he met some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, ah, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So Paul goes to Ephesus, and he finds some disciples, and he probably spends a little bit of time with them, and he sees enough about them. He's, he's been with them long enough for him to say, oh, I think I need to ask them a question. He doesn't ask everyone this question, but he needs to ask them a question. He says, do you know what? When you believe, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And, and they say, well, no. What, do, what are you even talking about, Paul? We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. There is a Holy Spirit. Paul presses a little bit more. He asks about baptism, and he finds out they're not even Christians. He finds out they're not even believing in Jesus. They're just following John's bat, uh, baptism and everything. And he's saying, oh, no, 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 no. It's all about Jesus. He probably expands that. He tells them a little bit more about what Jesus did and how we can find forgiveness of sins through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. And they come to believe. They come to believe. And so Paul then baptizes them. And after he's baptized them, he lays hands on them. And the Holy Spirit comes on them. And then they begin to speak in tongues and they prophesy. Something visible. They speak in tongues and they prophesy for these. So for the Ephesians, actually being sealed with the Spirit, it comes pretty much at the same time as them believing. Pretty much. Within the same day, probably, you know, within an hour of it. But it doesn't happen exactly at the same time as they believe. Because Paul's not going to baptize them in water until he knows that they've believed. Once they've believed, he's like, okay, we'll baptize you in water. When he baptizes them with water, probably as they've come up out of the water, he probably lays hands on them, he prays for them. Then they're filled, they 
uh, baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that often happens, actually, when, when people get filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit, baptized, you know, with, with a seal, baptism in the Spirit, pretty much synonymous, same thing. It's often when people lay hands on them. It's often when people pray and say, God, will you fill this person with your Holy Spirit right now? And as you lay hands on, often that is what happens. You know, the very fact... So you could say, well, come on, you're splitting hairs, Mark. It's pretty much the same time. It's at, it's at the same time. But the fact that Paul asks the question indicates it could happen at a different time. When you believed, he thinks they, do be- he thinks they have believed because that's an internal thing. He can't see whether they've believed or not until they tell him. Oh, we haven't, we haven't believed in Jesus yet, but he thinks they have. When you believed, were you filled with the Holy Spirit? Presumably, they could answer, No. No, we, we did believe, but we, actually we didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. It could be that it was very different, very separate times. There's lots of other examples, we don't have time to go into detail, of where the baptism of the Spirit or the marking with the seal of the Spirit happens after conversion. Acts chapter 8 is one of them. Acts chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. I'll put the passage up on the screen. I won't read it. Peter and John go to Samaria. They've heard that people outside of Israel are coming to faith in Jesus. So they go down. So these people have come to faith in Jesus. And, they, and Peter and John pray that the new believers might receive the Holy Spirit because it says the Spirit hadn't yet come on any of them. So these people have believed But the Spirit doesn't come on them until Peter and John go down. And it says they place their hands on the believers again, who then receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9. Paul himself gets converted on the road to Damascus. You remember the story. Road to Damascus, Saul falls onto the ground because Jesus appears before him. He's blinded. That's the point where he comes to know Christ. But it's only when he goes to the house of Ananias that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. It happens a few days later. And of course, we see in Acts chapter 2, Jesus' disciples, obviously they're believers. They've just seen the risen Lord Jesus. Of course they believe. Um, They've been with him for three years. But they were sealed or baptized with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. For them... The Spirit hadn't even been poured out until that day, so they had to wait. They couldn't even be prayed for at that point because the Spirit hadn't been poured out, but they had to wait. But when the Holy Spirit comes on them, then it's a very public thing. It's a very public thing. People are coming out. They're speaking in different languages. They're acting in ways that people thought they were drunk. They've suddenly got courage and boldness where before they were timid and fearful. So the Holy Spirit brings a huge change in people. The Holy Spirit brings the manifest, visible presence of God. It's not something that is hidden. It's not just a feeling that we have inside. It's actually something that happens that other people can see. Other people can witness. It's a sign these people belong to Christ. It's a sign of ownership. Why am I making this point about timing? Why am I making this point about timing? Because sadly, many believers assume that they've received this seal of the Holy Spirit 
at conversion. They just think, well, that automatically happened when I, was, when I came to Christ. Even though they've got no evidence of it in their lives, even though they've had no experience of it happening, they just think, well, it must have happened because I believe. And then over time, they can think, well, maybe, I'm, maybe there's something wrong with me. Some people can think this because I'm not really experiencing this joy in worship that some other people seem to be experiencing. Other people, when they're worshiping God, it, it's all just coming out and, they, and they're out there. And I just feel like, oh, well, you know, I believe it. It's true, but I don't experience this joy in worship. I don't know anything of the power of God. I don't really have any experience of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are described in other parts of the Bible. You know, I actually, even in my life, my personal life, I really struggle sometimes. I struggle with living a holy life. You know, I'm just, I'm just swayed this way and that. It's just, this Christianity is just a hard slog. And, and maybe it's something about me. Well, it could well be that you just haven't realized you can be baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. We need to understand that this sealing with the Spirit is an experiential thing. It's power from God. And the church of God so desperately needs this. And it's on offer. After we've been received the Spirit, we're able to keep going back. We can keep going back and being filled with the Spirit. And, and actually, Paul indicates that's, that's more on us to keep going and asking God to fill us. Keep receiving the Spirit, keep being filled with the Spirit. But we, we need to have this experience of knowing God first, knowing God fill us, seal us with His Spirit, baptize us with His Spirit, whatever we want to call it. So ideally, ideally this is something that happens soon after we believe. Too many people struggle for months, even years, without knowing this power of God working in their lives. I've known people who've been Christians for years and then they receive the power of the Holy Spirit and they're changed. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. I never knew, I never knew it could be like this. The good news is, if you haven't received the seal of the Spirit, you can do today. That's why we're gonna worship at the end today. Give time for God to move amongst us just generally by the power of his Holy Spirit. But also it just gives an opportunity for us to pray for people, to receive the baptism of the Spirit, to receive this mark of the Spirit on your life. And, and we'll figure out a way to lay hands on you. I know it's difficult with COVID, but it might be a close family member or a friend, close friend actually lays hands on you while we pray. But we'd love to pray for you to receive the Spirit because this is something that is the blessing of God. It's a blessing of God that we can receive. Now, before I move on from this point, I just want to be clear because the enemy is going to try and discourage some people at this point. Really is. The enemy is going to say, do you know what? Maybe you're not even a Christian. Maybe if you've not received this seal of the Spirit, this mark of ownership, maybe that means you're not even a Christian. Let me tell you, that is not true. That is not true. A seal is a sign of authenticity. A seal shows something is authentic. On my, we've recently become citizens of Canada. On my citizenship document, there is a government seal. It shows that this certificate is authentic. 
It's true, I am a citizen of Canada. But that seal isn't what makes me a citizen. I became a citizen when I said the Pledge of Allegiance at my citizenship ceremony. I didn't receive the document at that point. I received the document, and it was even later because of the mail now, it's all online. I received the document a couple of weeks later. Received the seal which demonstrated this is authentic. Mark is a citizen. But I already was a citizen. Sealing doesn't make us a Christian. It doesn't make us a son of God. It authenticates that we are, that we already are. For Jesus, the Spirit of God came on Jesus at his baptism. And the voice from heaven came and said, this is my beloved son. When the Spirit of God came on Jesus, that, didn't, that wasn't the point when Jesus became God's son. He already was. The Spirit coming on him authenticated announced publicly, this is God's son. He already was. So don't feel, oh, if I've not received this, I'm not a Christian. Of course you are. If you've believed, if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior, that he can forgive your sins, that he's brought you into relationship with him, that's already happened. It's already happened. But the Spirit coming on us is certainly something that we can experience. And often you know, usually you know something has happened to you. Others know it as well because it's a much more public thing. People can usually see a difference after us, afterwards. Okay, so very briefly, what does Paul tell us about the Spirit? Firstly, he tells us he's the promised Holy Spirit. This was something people had been hoping for and expecting for a long, long time. And we can trace this right back from the Old Testament where the Spirit of God was at work. But the Spirit of God was only poured out on one or two people at a time in the Old Testament period. But a day was coming when this was going to be for many, many people, for all who believed. The Alpha video on the Holy Spirit explains this much better than I can. So we're going to watch five minutes of this video where they explain on this Alpha video uh, on the Holy Spirit exactly what happened. At first it's quite dark, so I don't think we're missing the video, but you'll see it later on. Thank you. 
stones and gems into art, into a house for the Lord. The Spirit of God came upon Gideon, a weak and fearful man, so he became a brave warrior who saved God's people. Samson, who was taken prisoner, God sent his spirit to give him the extraordinary strength to break free from the ropes tied around him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. God filled others with his spirit for prophecy, to be his mouthpiece, bringing direction and hope to his people. The Spirit came upon Isaiah to bring good news of hope. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Upon Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Through the prophet Joel, we learn who this promise is for and how it will happen. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. God's promise was that he would do something new. Not just for particular people at particular times, for particular tasks, but for everyone, all people, regardless of position, age, gender, ethnicity, and race. Then, with the birth of Jesus, it was like a trumpet sounded, and everyone surrounding the birth of Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, John the Baptist, and then Jesus at his baptism. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. Full of the Holy Spirit, he began to teach, heal the sick, bring freedom to the captives, to heal the brokenhearted. So often what happens in the Old Testament in a physical way happens in the New Testament in a spiritual way. As Bezalel was given the skill to craft and design the temple, the Holy Spirit always brings new things to our lives. New attitudes, new desires, new ways of worship, new songs. Whatever you do in your workplace, the Spirit of God wants to fill you with skill, ability and creativity. Like Gideon, God uses people who feel weak, inadequate, ill-equipped. As God's Spirit gave Samson physical strength to break free from his bindings, so today the Holy Spirit brings freedom to break the habits, the addictions, the things that keep people spiritually bound. The counselor, the helper, the gift giver, the guide. The Holy Spirit softens our hearts. He takes away our hearts of stone and gives us hearts of flesh. The Holy Spirit who helps us to break free from bad habits also harnesses a desire to love others and to help those in need the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives. The experience of the Holy Spirit is not only about what is felt, but also about making a difference in the world. He can use you. Wow. You see how God works in us 
through his Holy Spirit. And you see how there's this expectation in the Old Testament, which comes through many of the prophets, um, that this is going to be something for everyone who believes. It's coming for all people, not just a chosen few. It's going to be for many. In Ezekiel chapter 37, we, he sees a vision of a valley of dry bones scattered on the floor of a valley. And God asks him, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, well, only you know God. And God says to Ezekiel, well, prophesy to the bones. And as Ezekiel prophesies to the bones, suddenly there's a great noise and a great rattling. And as the Spirit of God comes, the bones come together, tendons, flesh, skin, breath comes into them, life comes, and they stand a vast army. And God says, these bones are my people. The bones are dried up. Their hope is gone, but I am going to open up your graves and bring you out of them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. What do passages like this tell us about what God's wanting to do? Well, it tells us that even the most unpromising people can hear the word of God and life can come by the power of the Holy Spirit. You might look at yourself, you might look at other people who you know, and you might ask that question, can these bones live? Can life really come? But the Spirit of God can transform anyone. The Spirit of God can come and transform anyone. And as the video just said, it's now not just one or two people, it's many, many, many people. Even in the church, sometimes we can be fooled into thinking, well, it's just one or two. It's just one or two who were anointed in this special way. If you were at the 11 o'clock meeting, especially last week, Gary came and he, he was bringing words for people. He was um, working in the, using the gifts of some of the gifts of the Spirit that God had given him. And, and you can easily just think, oh, well, that's okay for Gary. That's okay for this person, but not for me. No, this is for everyone who believes. This is for all of us in the church. We can have different gifts. We're not all going to operate in the same way. We're not all going to have the same temperament, but we can all receive the one spirit and know his power. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be around Jesus when he was alive, to be one of his disciples? Wouldn't it have been amazing to be living when Jesus was Obviously, his disciples were for three years, and then Jesus started to tell them he was going to be killed, and even though he was going to be raised from the dead, which they struggled to understand and believe anyway, they said, he said, I'm going to my father, and they were devastated. They were devastated. They'd been with him for all this time, but Jesus comforted his disciples, and in John 14, verse 15, he, we see he says this. He says, don't worry, don't worry. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or another counselor to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Now, Jesus isn't saying he's going to send, God's going to send someone completely different. Like God sent one prophet, Isaiah, and then maybe he sent Jeremiah, and then maybe he sent Ezekiel, you know, different prophet, someone completely different. No, the word that's used here is it's another of the same kind. I wonder if any kids here can tell me what their favorite flavor of ice cream is. There's not many kids here, actually. Anyone want to say, what, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? 
my hearing's not so great, so you're going to have to. Or anyone tell me what their favorite flavor of ice cream is. Chocolate chip cookie dough. I will go for it. I heard of vanilla as well, I think. But uh, chocolate chip cookie dough. Okay, Jody wants chocolate chip cookie dough. You might decide in summer, um, or even in winter, you're going to have some chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. And if you really enjoy it, if you really enjoy it, you might say, do you know what? I'm going to have another. I'm going to have another. Now, usually, that would mean I'm going to have another chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. It might mean I'm going to have a different flavor. Might mean that. It could mean either. Usually, probably the same one. In Greek, it's clear. It's another of the same kind. If it was the Greek word, it would be, I'm going to have another chocolate chip cookie dough, and it would be clear. Well, it was clear to people uh, who read the Greek. Jesus said, I'm going to, God's going to send you another of the same kind. This spirit of truth is going to live in you. Spirit of truth is going to live in you. Jesus says, I'm going to come and live in you. We know it's the same because Jesus goes on to say in verse 18, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Not someone else will come to you instead. Not someone inferior. Not like, oh, you've had the best, but you're going to get someone else. I will come to you. And that's exactly what happened. The disciples were waiting in Jerusalem uh, after Jesus had left them, anxious, fearful. And then the Spirit of God came on them on the day of Pentecost. And they spilled out into the streets. And they were praising God in different languages. And they were full of joy. Why were they full of joy? Because Jesus was back. He was back with all his love and with all his power. He was back and he was living in them. And they knew it. They knew it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so they were, they were praising God and they were acting, you know, they were celebrating and there were all this stuff's going on. People are thinking they're crazy. People were thinking they were drunk. But they didn't care because Jesus was back. He's back living in them. And Peter makes it clear when he speaks to the crowd. He says, if you repent and if you believe, you too can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, you will. The promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, all who the Lord God will call, because now the Spirit of God is poured out on everyone who believes. Now it's for everyone, and you can receive Jesus. So the truth is we are living on planet Earth while Jesus is around, because he comes to us now by his Holy Spirit. And we can know this just as the early church did. He clothes us in power. Would you like that, to be clothed in power? Some of us have known this power and actually allowed the fire of the Spirit to grow cold. And we can fan those embers into flame, even today, by being filled with the Spirit again. But if we've never known this power, if we've never known this baptism in the Spirit, the sealing of the Spirit, we can come and we can ask God and we don't need to be fearful. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 11 because some people were fearful. They were saying, I don't know. I don't know if God's going to give me something harmful. And Jesus said, look, which of you, if your son asked for a fish, are going to give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, are going to give him a scorpion? If you who are evil know how to give your children good gifts, how much more 
will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus was saying, don't fear the Spirit. Don't fear that God's going to bring you something harmful. If you ask him, he'll give you his Spirit. It'll be wonderful. It'll be wonderful. Because God's a good God. And he gives us good gifts. Very briefly, Paul says, secondly, that the Holy Spirit is a deposit. A deposit is what? A down payment of what is to come in the future. That's what, a, that's what a deposit does. It says, here's some, but there's more coming. And the Holy Spirit is a deposit. The Greek word is the same word that's used for an engagement ring. Now, we've got someone who's just recently got engaged here. Isaac on the sand desk has recently got engaged to Hannah. And when Isaac got engaged to Hannah, he gave her an engagement ring. And that ring is a sign, a visible sign, of his love for Hannah. And it's also a deposit. Did you know that, Isaac? It's a deposit. It's a sign that there's more of that love to come. I love you now, and there's more to come. It's an engagement ring. It's the same with the Spirit. We've already seen in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. The Spirit guarantees what's to come. So when we look in the Bible, especially some of the books like Revelation, we see what is to come. We see what's to come. We see what's going to happen in the new heavens and the earth. That's going to be a place where we hear and see God face to face. We will see his glory. It's a place where people will respond to God with uninhibited worship. Multitudes from every tribe and nation and language. And people are crying out to God in loud voices. There's not a lot of inhibition going on in heaven. People aren't nervous. People aren't shy and inhibited. They're calling on God. They're praising God. The Spirit of God does that in us. It, it, it lessens our inhibitions. We might be a nervous, shy kind of person, but we can be freed from all that to praise God and to worship Him when the Spirit of God comes. In heaven, people are not whispering. Heaven's not particularly a quiet place as far as I can see. People are on, on their faces in worship. They're casting their crowns before God. You see everyone shouting together in total unity. This is what the book of Revelation says that heaven is going to be like. So we can expect a foretaste of this in the church, a deposit. A, a deposit of what heaven is going to be like and what it's going to be like. When the Spirit of God moves in the church, we start to live more and more in that overlap between the present age and the age to come. We start to live more and more in that. We get glimpses of heaven as we gather together as a church. The future invades the present. We can receive God's Spirit. Oh, God, we know something of what heaven is going to be like. Yet we're still here on earth. We still face all the same struggles, the same battles, the same difficulties. But we're getting glimpses of what heaven is going to be like because the Spirit of God is a deposit. And it's a seal, remember, the sign of the authentic. When God's moving in his church by his Spirit, that's a sign of authentic Christianity. 
Things happen when God is at work. People praise God enthusiastically when the Spirit of God is at work. People are healed when God is at work. People are set free when God is at work. You'll get people speaking in different languages uh, and tongues, and, and we'll have gifts of interpretation of those prayers of praise. And we'll have people bringing prophecy and, and speaking of what God's going to do in the future. And you'll have people who are just becoming undone, even emotionally, because God's at work in their lives. And, and some people get uneasy about this sort of thing. They say, well, I don't really like strange things happening in the church. But there should be strange things happening in the church. If God is real and alive and moving amongst us, there should be evidence of it. We don't see examples in the Bible where it says, the Spirit of God was poured out and everyone sat in their rows silently and nothing happened. We don't. That's not what we should be expecting when the Spirit of God is poured out. When the Spirit of God came on Jesus, he began to do things in the power of that Spirit of the Spirit. He began to heal the sick. He began to raise the dead. He began to deliver people from oppression. Same thing happened after Pentecost. This, uh, you know, we see things happening, those same things. The same happened for the Ephesians. What about us? What about us? We're not looking for dry, academic Christianity. Maybe some of us feel a little uncomfortable, but when God moves, it's not all neat and tidy. It's not all neat and tidy, but we don't have to fear because it's God. It's God and He loves us. Maybe the dry bones in the, in, in the image, in the, in the vision that Ezekiel saw, maybe the dry bones were all neat and tidy. But then the Spirit of God began moving and they began to rattle. There was a disturbance. There was a wonderful commotion going on as the Spirit of God raised up an army. So yes, of course, we want to check that things are being done in the, that have been done in the name of God and in the Holy Spirit are biblical. But let's not be frightened of extremes and so, so frightened that there's nothing going on and that we don't have any expectation. We want to pray for things to happen. We want to expect things to happen in our gatherings where God is moving powerfully. We want to expect that, that things are going to be so evident of what's going on that even while we've got children among us who may not understand everything that's being spoken when the preaching is going on, they understand that God's here. They understand that God's at work. They're drawn into it. They're involved in it themselves if they believe. We're looking for a foretaste of heaven in our times together. That's what we're looking for. A deposit, a foretaste of heaven. Let's believe for it. Let's believe for it even today. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to just take some time. I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. I don't know. We're going to allow God's Spirit to move amongst us. And if you wish to receive the sealing of the Holy Spirit on you today. If you wish to receive the baptism of the Spirit, you don't have to be fearful, but we can pray. We can pray that that will happen. We can have hands laid on you. Might not be mine, might be a family member, might be someone else, but we can see what God wants to do. So why don't we stand? I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. We're going to just start. I'm going to ask Taylor to just begin to sing and uh, 
can invite the Holy Spirit to move. And then we, we can lead into that, myself and Gary and uh, Ollie, others maybe can, can come. It, listen, if, you've, if you sense the Spirit at work, if you feel the Spirit of God is giving you gifts to encourage us, to share, to speak out boldly, then come, and, come to the microphone. We, we want to see God at work this morning. So, Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you are not a God who only does things invisibly in our hearts. Lord, you set your seal on us. You say, I'm giving you my spirit. It's going to be a sign to you. It's going to be a sign to everyone that I'm at work in your life, that you're mine. Holy Spirit, we invite you here this morning. We, I pray, Lord, cast out all fear that there may be. Lord, we know we're safe with you. We're safe with you. But, Lord God, we want to have that glimpse, that foretaste of heaven. Not just today, but every time we meet. Spirit of God, I pray, come now. Come now, begin to move powerfully amongst us. Begin to do things, Lord. Lord, let us not be afraid of showing and expressing what's going on in our hearts, Lord God. Loosen our inhibitions. Come right now, Lord, Spirit of God, move powerfully, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's just come before God. Let's see what he wants to do as we worship.